0: You're listening to The Reconditioned Podcast, and today we hear from Planet Organic Chairman Professor Ben Thompson about the steps we all need to be taking to improve our health and that of the planet. So stay tuned for all things wellness and growth.
1: Your personality creates your personal reality. Authentic Power is when your personality comes
0: to serve the energy of your soul. The truth is, the body is one ecosystem. You can get to the root cause and everything goes away. Welcome to the Reconditioned Podcast, where I use my knowledge and expertise of over a decade in the wellness and transformation world. To take a deep dive into what makes us thrive as humans, I'm Lauren Vaknin, leading wellness and transformation coach. And following my remission from the rheumatoid arthritis I'd had for 27 years that left me wheelchair bound by the age of 18, I created a unique coaching combination, conflating physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of self to create true, long lasting well being in all senses of the word. This podcast is one of the many free resources I've created to help you achieve the same. Whether you're suffering from chronic illness, raising children in a world of conflicting information, you're an entrepreneur wanting to step into your purpose, or you simply want to feel empowered and motivated to become the best version of yourself, join me along with expert guests as we uncover the most actionable and tangible ways to recondition ourselves back to wellness. This season of Reconditioned is sponsored by Block Blue Light, the world's leading supplier of blue and artificial light blocking products, including blue light glasses and blue blocking lighting solutions. Blue light blocking products aim to alleviate digital eye strain, improve sleep and optimize health through mitigating the harmful effects of artificial light from screens and modern lighting. For a 10% discount across the range, visit blockbluelight.co.uk and enter the code Lauren10. Thank you to Block Blue Light. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for being here. So today's show was so interesting for me. I don't understand as much as I'd like to about finance, but I'm interested in it, in how it works and kind of how we all play a part. And when Thomas Olivier, who I spoke to on episode 41, Uh, last season about epigenetics told me about his partner in his genetic testing and health optimization company, Omnos, Professor Ben Thompson, I asked him to connect us. I was intrigued by the fact that Ben is in both finance and wellness. So we went into all of that and how all that came about for him and which was super interesting and all the things kind of he's using his investment company in Relief to invest in wellness initiatives how amazing is that if everyone in finance had an investment company that was investing only in wellness and the wellness of the planet how incredible would that be if everyone that had that sort of reach could do that so it was super interesting and I spoke about that and he took us through the steps we need to be taking as individuals to improve our health and that of the planet and as a professor and quite frankly just a very intelligent well researched man it's always really lovely for me to hear people like him bring it back to the basics of what me and the whole natural immunity community preach on a daily basis that it's the state of our immune systems and how we look after ourselves people that will determine any illness virus or disease that gets triggered in us it's so simple it's not complex it always comes back to that simple point we're always waiting for science to save us but we have all the tools we need to do that and the sooner we will realize that the healthier we'll all be And the sooner we can end this charade we're seemingly putting up with at the moment. Like I always say, it's up to us. My entire ethos in life of this podcast, of everything I do, is about sharing this message that it's up to us to empower ourselves with knowledge and take responsibility for our own well-being. If you're not doing that right now, ask yourself the question, why and what could you be doing to take responsibility for your own well-being and that of your family? That's what this podcast is all about. Helping to give you the knowledge so that you can take the reins and do that yourself. So I listened to an amazing episode on Dr. Tommy John's podcast with Dr. Thomas Cowan. And Dr. Cowan said something that I loved. He said, Life is a cooperative venture. We cannot live unless we all do well. So what he meant by that was he was comparing it to trees, which alert each other to attacks from, say, beetles and the like, through how they communicate with each other. And then they find a way to strengthen themselves against the beetles. They don't inject or rub poison into themselves, thereby harming themselves in the process of trying to stop themselves from being harmed by something else. They use the resources they have within them to strengthen themselves. And as humans, we can only be quote, unquote, protected from something when we all strengthen ourselves as a collective. And right now we're doing the very opposite, you know, by using all these antibacterial products like we think it's gonna save us. If you're doing that and and you haven't heard this yet on this show or somewhere else, it's very simple. You're killing the very bacteria that was designed to keep you alive. Our bodies, our microbiome, we're made up of three trillion cells That is what is keeping us alive. If you are killing that, and everyone else out there is killing that, apart from this community of us who are trying to tell people not to do that, you are essentially helping to kill the entire human race. Because we cannot kill the bacteria that's keeping us alive and expect it to keep us healthy That bacteria is good. Do you ever hear, you know, back in the day when, you know, the parents were always like, yeah, they just need to play in the dirt. They need to get dirty. We need to get dirty, people. We need to get dirty. Let our kids get dirty. All right, wash your hands with soap and water before you eat. But other than that, you know, and after you go to the toilet, but other than that, we cannot continue with this fear of germs and if you're more interested if you want to look more into that look up Dr Thomas Cowan and look up this episode he did with Tommy John about the germ theory it's super interesting anyway I'm here eating my good organic food and sleeping and meditating and tapping and hugging trees and that's my medicine what's yours and anyway Professor Thompson is pretty much doing the same so let's hear from him and as usual If you enjoy the content from this podcast or it's benefited you or taught you anything or you've really enjoyed it, please feel free to share with family and friends. That's the best way for people to hear about podcasts. And also, if you can just click subscribe or follow wherever you're listening right now and go and leave me a review. You can do it right now. It takes like 30 seconds. It really helps other people to find the podcast. The more reviews there are, the more the podcast gets heard about. So I'm going to do that right now if you can spare 30 seconds. That would really help. Okay, let's get on with the show. Professor Ben Thompson was educated at Edinburgh University where he also holds an honorary doctorate. His main career has for 35 years been in finance and between 1997 and 2010, he was chief executive and then chair of the Scottish investment bank, Noble Group. Following that, he founded two new Scottish fund management companies, Ben has been actively involved in the health and well-being sector. His fund management company Invalith invests predominantly in healthy consumer-based companies like Planet Organic, Good Hemp and Montezuma's Chocolate, one of my favourites. He is chairman of Planet Organic, one of the leading health food retailers in the UK. He is also chairman of Omnos, a platform that allows individuals to take tests to analyse their well-being and then make recommendations to improve lifestyle. Ben has also been involved in the public sector and charities. He chaired and founded Reform Scotland, a political think tank, and chaired the National Galleries of Scotland and Creative Scotland. Ben is currently a visiting professor at the Business School of Dundee University. So, so glad to have you here like. Thanks, Lauren. Well, I wanted to speak to you because you combine both finance and well-being. And that was something that really struck a chord with me because wouldn't the world be such a better place if everyone who was in finance also had a foot in the well-being door too, or at least to understand the importance of it. So two questions I like to start the show by asking. Firstly, about your upbringing and background and how that impacted what you do today, followed by what have you done so far today to support your well-being?
1: So it was an odd time. When I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, my mum thought of herself as rather a good cook. But I think we probably lived on on sort of sauces made from mushroom soup and and <laughs> uh, and chicken Kiev stuffed with E numbers. And it, they weren't particularly healthy days. So looking back on it now, I realized that the food we ate as children was pretty, we thought it was good, but wasn't that great for you. But, you know, my parents were super, and I, I spent a very interesting uh, childhood in that um, my father was a diplomat, so we went around the world, so experienced a lot of diversity. So I then became, I was an international athlete for 10 years, and, and that really, you can't be an athlete without being fairly pernickety mm. about your health, because to be at the sort of top level, you need to, to look after yourself. And looking back on it now, I realized a lot of things I did was actually totally wrong. Uh, we used to eat Mars bars between events to get our energy <laughs> up and have a sugar rush and wondered why we had a crash halfway through the event. But looking back on it now, being an athlete meant that you really had to focus on, on well-being and looking after yourself to get to that point where you're you're performing well. So that's really where I got, I suppose, interested in it. Um, I was quite lucky, I suppose, in that I have my mother's genes, which means I'm completely alcohol intolerant. So <laughs> having tried hard up until my mid-twenties to eat al- uh, drink alcohol and be very ill, I then gave it up. And so that's been a, a good, sometimes adversity can lead to some good things. So not being able to drink alcohol has probably been a benefit, um, but I sometimes miss out on not having a good glass of wine. So I suppose that's my early career and, and wellness. I've always been, having done a lot of sports, been interested in, in keeping myself well. And I suppose where my sort of passion for really uh, health came a bit from my days in investment banking. And in those days, you had to take a booper test every year. It was part, it was actually mostly for our insurance rather than anything else. And they would ask you a whole load of questions and you do some tests and then at the end of it, you were told whether, what you should be doing, which was usually smoke less and drink less for most of the employees. <laughs> and I asked all of my staff what, what, what benefit they got from the Bupa test. And, and no one really had any idea, apart from it was good for insurance, that it had given them anything benefit, beneficial. So I asked them, what were the things that really concerned them? And it was surprising. The answers were, I'm really concerned that I'm going to get cancer. And I'm really concerned that I've, I'm getting or I've, I'm potentially going to get diabetes and I'm really concerned about heart disease. And I suspect that, I was asking them 20 years ago, I suspect if you answer the question today, they would also add to that list dementia. Mm. And those are the long-term chronic diseases that really now impact on us. And 75% of all NHS spending is now on those long-term chronic diseases, if you include social care as well. And the statistic is that by the time we get to 65, the majority of people will have at least two long-term chronic diseases. So I became really passionate about how could we give people better information to look after themselves and stop them getting long-term chronic diseases. And it seemed to me that the NHS is really a very good critical illness service. It is best when it's performing when something has gone wrong it's it's good at failure in that it's good at sorting out failures it's not necessarily good at prevention uh in scotland anyway two and nearly two and a half thousand pounds a head is spent on on critical illness and less than 50 pounds is spent a year per head on prevention which just seems totally the wrong way around
0: i'm surprised actually it's even 50 pounds what in what way is that spent? Because I've never had anything to do with prevention
1: I suppose from the NHS. Like, uh, breast testing, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, and the program they they run now, prostate cancer testing, that would be designated as prevention. Mm-hmm. But I, I I therefore thought it was it was the only way that we are going to alleviate that is give responsibility back to people. In terms of giving them the information to make the right lifestyle choices mm-hmm. in wellness. And, and that that things have changed. When the NHS was set up in, in the 1940s after the war, most people died of, of disease, single diseases, and accidents and, and damage, car accidents, etc. Now most people die of those long-term chronic diseases. But there's a big difference. If I get hit by a bus or I have a terrible illness, the NHS is great because it's a single, single event and a single solution often. But long-term chronic diseases builds up over many years where it's not critical at all. And it's made up of a whole load of different factors. Yes. And the solution is a whole load of different factors. So you have to address it in a, in a very different way. And, and to me, the best starting point of addressing it is to stop people getting that. And there's a very interesting World World Health Organization statistic that is between 40 and 80% of long-term chronic disease can be prevented by lifestyle or environmental changes. Mm -hmm. Some of it's genetic, some of it's just pure chance, but the majority of it is actually how we lead our lives. So coming back to those Bupa tests that I I described earlier on is... I then became passionate about how could I find better information that would tell me um, how to lead a better lifestyle and, and the sort of environment I was in and, and would tell me some answers about whether I was likely to get cancer or, or, uh, or more likely to get a heart attack or what I could do to prevent, prevent dementia or diabetes. And, and so I went off and did a lot of medical tests because it's very frustrating that, uh, that you, you can't get this information, apart from very generic information you might read in the Daily Mail or, 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 the, or the Times or the Telegraph.
0: That great source.
1: <laughs> I know, exactly. So I went off and did a lot of these tests, everything from sort of MRI to CAT scans. I was a complete guinea pig. And what I discovered was that there are certain te- medical tests that really do give you some good information about what you should and shouldn't be doing, both in terms of your genetics and in terms of your, your phenotype, and that's what, how you're functionally operating. Uh, there was a, 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 the next problem is that those medical tests are quite difficult to get hold of, but more importantly, when you do get the results, they're completely gobbledygook to anyone who is not trained in medicine for seven years. And so I then became really interested in how do we take that information and democratize it so that an everyday mum can um, take the uh, information at home and say, actually, these are the really important things for me, personalized information that will allow him or her to make better lifestyle choices for themselves and for their family and um, and I've been very passionate about that and and that started also to get me interested in the whole era of food and drink where there was a sort of cultural change going on which has happened over the last 15 years where people have stopped trusting and believing in big organizations that are good for you Mm -hmm. and moving towards small and local and community-based where they feel they can trust people. And I suppose that, that's come from a number of things. Firstly, it's because I think people have been let down by big organisations so much. That's as much food companies as it is politicians or or your sports association. Every time you turn the corner, there seem to be information that experts gave you that was wrong and has been known about for ages. And secondly, the internet has allowed us to be able to see the provenance of something much more easily at a smaller level, so I set up in belief to invest in small local um, uh, food producers who who believed in good healthy food so those are a couple of, of uh, that, that became a sort of a, another passion on this um so really lauren that's that's where um, uh, I started to get really interested in how do we How do we firstly give people the information that they need to make better choices and how can they take tests and give themselves information so that they know that, you know, that, uh, that a keto diet is the right diet for them or that they should be taking, should they be taking vitamin B12 or should they be taking vitamin D or should they be taking zinc supplements? You go into a Planet Organic or dare I say, a competitor like Holland and Barrett, um, you have no real idea about what it is you should be mm. taking um, specifically for you. And so um, democratising that information to me is is, is really important, uh, which is why I set up Onnos. And, and then the ability to give people the food and the supplements and advice that they need, um, that was really why I set up in Belize, to invest in companies and help them, such as Planet Organic and... Montezuma's and Good Hemp, which we've talked about, which are companies who are who are who are very much trying to do that.
0: Amazing. Okay, so before we really get into that, tell me something or anything you have done so far today to support your own well-being.
1: So I try to do something every morning. So um, this week I did yoga on Monday. So I do it really really from seven to um, uh, seven to eight thirty. So I did yoga on Monday. On Tuesday, I played tennis. Um, uh, Wednesday, I went for a swim in the sea at Portobello with a little bit of running. Oh, wow. Uh, And today I did stretching. um, And tomorrow I've got Pilates. So I try and do a little bit of exercise um, every morning, partly because um, if I look at my genes, I am probably very susceptible to getting dementia. Uh, That's both from my genetics tests, But also, Mm. if you look at my family history, my father and grandfather and great-grandfather all got dementia, so there's a good chance that I'll get it. It's vascular dementia. And if you want to improve vascular dementia, um, keeping your blood pressure up uh, is a good idea. I got very low blood pressure. So exercise first thing in the morning is really Mm. good for me. Actually, oddly enough, for me, who is unlikely to have a heart problem, taking more salt is probably a good thing, whereas other people, right. more salt is a bad thing. So if you just take the generic view, all salt is bad for you, you can quite end up with the wrong, wrong approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for me, uh, keeping my blood pressure up by being properly hydrated, drinking enough water, exercise early, a bit more salt in my diet, is starting to get personalised as to how oh. I can live a better lifestyle, depending on my own uh my own uh genetics and phenotype
0: yeah and having that that information is invaluable and that's where omnos comes in so would you do you have a high fat diet then knowing you've, you've got this propensity to uh dementia
1: oddly enough i'm a I'm mixed so uh a, a good mixed diet is 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 what i need mm-hmm. um and uh i tend to um not have carbohydrates after lunch, but that's mm. just, um, uh, it's, it's much easier to process them in the morning. But, um, I love food and and I eat all sorts, so uh, yeah, uh, yeah, well,
0: I i agree with that. I agree with taking kind of a, a balanced view on it in terms of we have, I always say, you know, and and I say this to clients all the time we take a preventative approach, we understand our bodies and we take those measures. But at the same time, we've been gifted these human bodies with all these senses. And let's enjoy them. Let's honor the senses, you know, and and if we're, you know, to enjoy food as part of the human experience as well. But there are ways to do that and be healthy. So I think we can, it's a balance like with everything.
1: You know, exactly. And that's what to some extent, Planet Organic does, which is it, it enables you to get good tasting food, but essentially the provenance is good. So it's come from, um, we try and, um, get it locally sourced. Um, obviously in the name, we, we, we try wherever possible to get organic. Um, there are a few products you just can't get organic. You can't get organic supplements all the time because you can't get organic iron. It (laughs) it doesn't exist. Um, but, but, But all our food that we prepare uh, in plant Organic is organic, fresh, vegetarian food that you can uh, uh, eat. Well, you used to be able to eat in store and hopefully in a few months you'll be able to eat in store again. But you can certainly take away and uh, you can buy in the grocery, et cetera, is 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 all about trying to get what we put into us to be better and to be better informed about what we put into each other. so that's all sort of curated first and foremost to give you a healthy tasty experience
0: yeah i'm a i'm a loyal customer of the uh, maswell hill store (laughs) you'll often find me in there so what is your involvement now in planet organic how how were you involved in the beginning in terms of the actual setup and 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 the objective behind it and what's your involvement today
1: so it was set up by someone called Rennie Elliott about 25 years ago, at a time when organic food really was was a slightly sort of ridiculed almost um, uh, area of the market. Um, and 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 both the market for organic food has become much more serious, and um, and also people recognise that putting too many chemicals in your body is not a good idea. So um, first and foremost, healthy food that doesn't have all sorts of chemicals in it is, is, is good for you. The body, you know, struggles to be able to cope with complexity. It's got to sort out alien mm. bodies from non-alien bodies. And it's not surprising it gets confused when you put quite so many chemicals and, and, and things that the body has to recognise mm. in there that, that it gets confused. So the good thing about organic food is it tries to reduce the number of, Additives and chemicals that are attached and associated with your with your food. Um, so so that um, uh, so um, so plant organic really. Um, uh, um, I became involved in that for three three years ago, and they sort of slightly lost their way. There were a number of shareholders who all had different views. And we had, uh, I came in with my fund, and we had a very clear view, which is, to us, Planet Organic is a gem that we ha- no one that hasn't really been shouted loudly enough. Mm-hmm. And it's a gem in three ways. One is that it's all about healthy food, and that was a trend that's only going to increase and that we totally and utterly believe in. And so trying to get a healthy you by giving people really good food is a top priority. Secondly, it's about a healthy planet. So all sorts of things Planet Organic did over the last 25 years has been sort of cutting edge. I mean, we gave up plastic bags 25 years ago. Um, we, we had um, combustible, packaging ago. Uh, we, uh, combustible packaging 10 years ago. We, compostable packaging 10 years ago. We have um, uh, all the free from packaging um, selections, of both things like soaps, but also things like grains and nuts and, and everything else to avoid packaging. And, and we recycle all our, our, our waste um, through so community schemes and, and recycling programs. So you know, good for the planet is our sort of second priority. And then the third, as you'll know well, Lauren, from Muswell Hill, is we seek to make a real community. You know, right. People who are interested in their food and in their health you know, a part of that plant organic experience, and when we could all meet up. You know, the cycle club meets up on a Saturday in Muswell Hill and gets their their free energy bar and their their um, their juice, and uh, and we support you know the the, the football shirts at the local um, uh, 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 Queens Park School, and we. So it's all part of being that community because the best place to 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 promote um, uh, healthy uh, lifestyle, a healthy environment, is through local communities.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I'm I'm very big on community and building communities, and 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 also what it does when you do that is then you you're not just preaching to the choir. You end up being able to. Um, speak to a wider audience they might be walking you know someone who's never eaten organic before and doesn't even know what it is or what it means might walk past and see or might see those football shirts and then question what's planet organic and you know if you get people asking questions and that begins the conversation which is so important
1: the disappointment to me is that in the UK only four percent of people eat organic food whereas in Europe it's over 12 percent, particularly France and and Germany Partly that's because we set a very high standard for our organic, which tends to make it more expensive, and less so in, 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 in Europe. Um, but to me, that's a huge opportunity. As people become more aware that healthy food is, is good for them, makes them feel better, stops long-term chronic diseases, helps with their immunity, which is particularly important sort of following COVID, I can only see more and more people wanting to eat healthier food, and understand, more importantly, how their bodies work yeah able to then you know sometimes we make choices that are bad for us because it's 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 fun you know we, we know that you know drinking too much isn't uh, isn't good for us but once in a while um you know what uh, uh which one of us hasn't had a bit too much but but at least you know that for the majority of the time what what is helping and what's not helping and you can mm-hmm. You can, you know, just reduce some of the things that aren't so healthy and increase some of the things that are healthy makes a massive difference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the issue with that 4% is that a lot to do with the media and what we're seeing and, you know, these big corporations and the sugar going into all the food that keeps you coming back for it. And and it's really, I mean, my whole premise in life and the, the whole premise of this podcast is about empowering people with the information that they need to make these changes. So, you know, companies like Planet Organic who are taking this stance and trying to educate, that's, that's really where the change is going to happen. So what about Montezuma, one of my favorites, being a raw chocolate lover.
1: I know, well, we got, um, we've got three sort of main pushes on Montezuma. The, the, um, uh, we, we have the, I think probably the best range of 100% chocolate mm. there is around and 100% chocolate is very difficult to do because it's a very acquired taste um, to get to 100% and make it not taste completely sort of a mixture of chalky and waxy at the same time. Um,
0: think you get used to it though right?
1: You do but making it really good I think we do do the best I would say this but I think we do do the best 100% and it's a really yeah. good product and it actually is our largest selling product and in America they love it which is a great Great sign. And we now have different flavours of 100 percent So chili flavor and whatever. Yeah. And then the second area that I think is really exciting is we have a complete range. I know this sounds um somewhat contradictory, but we have a really good range of non-dairy, dairy, dairy milk chocolate. (laughs) So so uh like faken Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Vegan vegan chocolate that that is non-dairy but is a milk chocolate and it tastes absolutely great and has all our naughty flavours. And then lastly is a lot of what we do is, is not just about the things that are really good for you, but people are moving towards, if you are going to do indulgences, then make them a little bit special. So, oh, yeah. you know, our, our chocolate is a bit premium, but we think that indulgent chocolate, if you're going to buy a bar of chocolate, you buy it less often and make it,
0: Absolutely, it's really
1: good. So, um, so, I, so we really believe in in making sure that um, the slightly indulgent. I mean, you know, for a really nice bar of chocolate, two pounds is not uh, is not. It's, it's a lot more expensive than a than a Cadbury's Dairy Milk. But if you're going to be indulgent and really go for the best, then then and make it a treat, then make it make it good chocolate.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I have I have some chocolate once a week. And so it does. It's, you know, it's like a, it is an indulgence. It's something I then look forward to. It becomes a ritual. When something becomes ritualistic, you want to make it kind of the best it can be. And also from an ethical standpoint, you're quite high up on the um, the ethical ladder.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, we've, um, we've, uh, we're very hot on where our cocoa beans are grown. The, the, The founders who are still very much involved, Simon and Helen um started their mission over 20 years ago when they were bicycling around South America and wanting to get the best beans from growers who were then paid mm. fairly and and so you know and, and then we are one of the very few chocolate companies actually manufacture our own chocolate in the UK so and mm. you know, we we man we um, make our chocolate down in Chichester um, and uh and we have a number of shops that we sell it through our own shops and um um, uh, and we also sell it through um, through supermarkets and, and retail. But um, it, it's nice to have something that we can we actually make in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and um, we're very pleased. There's a very good YouTube about it that we did a YouTube on our new packaging, which is I think the first compostable chocolate packaging out there. Oh, wow! And it's quite difficult to get because obviously you can make the cardboard compostable. It's that inner sleeve of or, uh, which is um, difficult to make possible, but we've, we've managed to um, to achieve it, which is we're very proud of.
0: That's brilliant, because usually it's like a plastic covering that you tear, isn't it? Yeah. Amazing. So what are the biggest obstacles you're seeing now when it comes to organic farming and distribution, recycling, that sort of thing?
1: Um. The soil association can be a bit conservative. So um, it would be good to really... uh, It's good to have high standards, but sometimes I think one needs to be more pragmatic. And I'll give you an example of that. If I wrap an organic chicken in plastic, um, it's still an organic chicken. (laughs) If I wrap an organic chicken in biodegradable maize starch um, product, it's no longer an organic chicken because you cannot get maize starch which isn't genetically modified.
0: Interesting.
1: So it would be good to get more flexibility into, um, into organic because I'd like to see the UK at 12, 15, 20% of us um, actually buying organic regularly rather than right. 10%. And, and to some extent, it needs the Soil Association to just encourage more people to take up organic as much as keeping the standards high so getting some more flexibility and would be great it's
0: kind of a chicken and egg situation isn't it because in order to get more people it needs to be more affordable um and in order to get more affordable i suppose they need more people to be consuming it but it, it is difficult i mean i you know when I, people say to me what things you know if i have to make the choice it's really expensive to buy organic and so I always tell them the clean 15 dirty dozen there are certain things which are really important to eat organic some things if you have to choose not as much but equally obviously many people simply can't but many people who say that they can't afford organic we there's always something else we could compromise to get there and I think if we start that journey of just buying a little bit more organic a lot more people are doing it perhaps then it will be easier for the Soil Association and for other companies to make it more accessible.
1: No I agree and and you look at the analogy the government wants us to have green energy which is good for the planet which is great so they're putting a heavy tax on on petrol and fuels and mm. they're subsidizing uh, green energy which is great but you should be doing the same with food so yeah. why aren't we using the European subsidies that are coming back to us, rather than just supporting any old farming on a land basis, why shouldn't we be using most of those subsidies to help organic farmers or farmers of particular crops that are going to be particularly good for us so that you're starting to get healthier food that way? And at the same time, um, one should be looking at other ways to tax foods that are really bad for us so that, um, so that uh, uh, um, people eat less of them, or manufacturers use them less. So if we taxed, let's say, sugar in the same way that we tax tobacco, um, then you would see um, manufacturers looking at other ways to make taste in their products without using sugar, which is incredibly bad and directly linked to ta- type two diabetes and a whole no- load of other factors. And type two diabetes, you know, costs, um, uh, costs the country uh, somewhere around about 20 billion pounds a year, uh, the UK, about 20 billion pounds a year. So if only we could um, reduce the amount of sugar, that will have a direct impact on, on not only our health, but actually there'll be a payback in reduced costs in, in NHS spending.
0: We'll be back to the episode really soon, but first a quick word from our sponsors, Block Blue Light. So as a busy mum and entrepreneur, there are days where I have to work into the evening. And this means being at my screen way longer than I'd prefer. So a while back, I invested in a pair of blue light blocking glasses. Now, if you've never heard of blue light blocking, let me give you a quick rundown. Natural blue light from the sun boosts our mood and alertness, but technology has meant that we're now exposed to so much artificial artificial blue light from screens, devices, and all modern lighting. And it's really affecting our health. Artificial blue light disrupts our sleep, interferes with our hormones, and causes digital eye strain, which can lead to long-term eye health issues. Now I've been wearing my blue light blocking glasses for a while but it was in the second lockdown when I was homeschooling that I decided to get a pair for my five-year-old to protect him from the amount of screen time that was required for his learning and he now wears them anytime he's at a screen and if he's watching TV after dark. We got them from Block Blue Light, who are the world's leading supplier of blue and artificial light blocking products. I chose them above some of the other brands because they're dedicated to delivering the world's most optimal and science-backed blue light glasses and blue blocking lighting solutions like light bulbs. Some benefits you might notice instantly are improved sleep, less headaches, less migraines if you suffer from them, less eye strain, and a genuine boost in your well-being as your body adjusts back to its natural circadian rhythms and let me tell you since wearing these glasses it's the first time in his whole five years that my son has slept past 7 a.m. and my most recent revelation with block blue light has been their fit over glasses because I wear glasses for TV and computer and was finding it hard to wear both but the fit over glasses are designed to slip right over your normal glasses without any heaviness or strain so you get the best of both worlds so to check out all of block blue lights incredible health boosting products Including day and nighttime glasses, blue light-blocking light bulbs, and 100% light-blocking sleep masks to help you into a deeper sleep. Visit blockbluelight.co.uk and use the code Lauren10 for a 10% discount. That's blockbluelight.co.uk and use the code Lauren10. Thank you to Block Blue Light. I always wonder though if that comes down to these massive food companies. You know the 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 cereal companies and these big you know the Cadbury's and all that kind of thing you know is there you know is there something going on there that makes it more difficult for the government to say okay yeah let's just support organic farmers because there's money involved in everything and and I always wonder if that plays a part because if not why would the government not do that
1: I mean they did a start so fizzy drinks the, the, yes they brought in on fizzy drinks so a fizzy drink over uh I think it's 5% sugar now gets a tax and then it goes up again if it's over 8%. That, that has had a dramatic impact because manufacturers are producing drinks at 4.9% because big manufacturers, you know, sugar sells because it's a nice taste. So they're encouraged without any limitations to put more and more mm. sugar in. So, but if you, if you turn it around and make it more expensive and you set levels, then they work out the mathematics and and reduce their levels accordingly. So um, that's about how you change manufacturers' habits by introducing the right sort of incentives for them to do it. I I think personally, rather than just fizzy drinks, we take a lot of sugar through, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you you take cereals, if you do, you're already starting a, a high core sugar diet for the day. You need to be going through... And and saying it's not just fizzy drinks; it's everything that has sugar in it should have a tax, um, uh, and and change habits. And then on the other side, you subsidise foods that are good for you by subsidising farmers to produce them and and retailers to provide them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are ways forward. We just kind of need to encourage those changes, I guess. And and and, and I suppose that's something we can all do individually. So. I suppose my next question is then what sort of impact can each individual person make and what should what changes should we be making to make that impact?
1: So um, uh, I think there's there's a a small percentage of the population who who are really focused on it but most people don't have the time to do masses of research so the critical thing is making it really easy for people to understand Mm. what they can and can't do and how it it uh, it helps so so for instance um you know tracking devices have now made it really easy for people to see how many steps they do a day and mm. therefore um you know they can start monitoring things it doesn't tell you yet how many for you you should do a day but at least it's a a measuring device uh, i think more and more people are wearing things like this which tell me how much sleep i'm having so um, and, you know, there has been a huge change in the, you know, being in finance in the 1980s and 1990s, you know, you were considered a wimp if you had anything more than five hours sleep, and, and, uh, and now it's exactly the opposite. People um, are slightly uh, 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 disapproving if you come into work and you're absolutely shattered because you've only had four hours sleep, and they're, they're concerned that you're going to make good decisions off the back of it. So, um, so We have changed behaviour, but it was because we got information and understanding that it made it very easy. It's very easy to wear a ring or a tracker to see what you're doing. And that's what we're trying to do at Omnos, make it very easy for people to take some basic tests at home that will tell them both their genetics, which is basically your car model, how you perform, and how that affects just basic things like, you know, are you good at processing alcohol or not? Are you good at processing caffeine or not? Should you be are you good at processing vitamin B12? You know, are, you, are you good at, uh, at, uh, at aerobic exercise or not? Those things you can start to see from your genes, but that's only what you're susceptible to. You then have to, it's a bit like saying your car's got rust proof paint in your, in your car. And that doesn't tell you if the car's got rust. You have to know the car model. And you have to know what's called your phenotyping, which is how your body's expressing. So is your is your body, um, is your body got rust? So, you know, have you got zinc deficiency, which shows that you might have a vitamin B12 problem? Put that together with your genetics and put it together with a minerals test, and you put that together with your questionnaire that says you're feeling a bit fatigued in the morning you're putting together the evidence that says actually in your priority now when you go and buy supplement vitamin b12 might be really important for you mm-hmm. or it might be the one you don't need to concentrate on you might be iron deficiency or uh, or or uh, or or whatever so i think giving people information that makes it really easy for them to be able to change their lifestyle and habits will will be the point at which people then start to change their lifestyle and habits
0: and and for the moment, what can each person, you know, each individual person, someone who's listening now maybe thinking, well, what small change can I make today personally?
1: Well, I think the first thing is, is to understand that everyone is is different. Don't just because, you know, your friend down the road is on a keto diet doesn't necessarily mean it's right for you. Mm. It's this process of understanding or starting to understand what is the right thing that you need to be doing um, to make you feel better? And generally speaking, if you're feeling better, that is probably a good sign that you're, you're doing things that's going to keep long-term chronic disease away and actually just improve your quality of life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What I want to ask, is there a way that we can encourage more people in finance to do what you're doing if all bankers and investment bankers and anyone in finance had a foot in the well-being door i think we would see huge change i think this this kind of it's almost like a paradox you know seeing someone who's in finance and also well-being if we had more of that huge change could be made in my opinion
1: um yes and i think financiers uh were well, two things you, you mustn't you mustn't think that finances actually um, have all that much impact on the world it's everyone who has an impact on the world so uh one can overestimate the um the ability of finances to change things but i would say there's an, a lot of money now being focused on health data on wellness on um on prevention both from government and finance which just wasn't there 10 years ago and and it's becoming the new hot area i mean apps like omnos is becoming an area where people are starting to recognize if we can understand how our bodies work much better and we can understand what we personally need to do and and there are places like Planet Organic which enable us to fulfill that, then we can start getting people to make those choices that lead them to be healthier and that will in the end help everyone in society because it means that um, one doesn't have to rely on a critical illness service to keep people get people back on their feet again.
0: Yeah, so it just comes back to it's an individual thing. We all have to be doing it regardless of what industry we're in. We each need to take small steps.
1: Yep, I totally agree. I think the more we become uh, we become aware of it, um, the better. And, of course, the hardest people to reach are the people who probably need it the most, which are the ones who have the least wealth in our society, who mm-hmm. probably have the worst diets and the worst lifestyles. And, and that is where you need even more government intervention to help overcome those barriers and, and help people get educated. And, and it's one of the small parts of the many pieces that need to be put together in a holistic way to get people who are at the, at the lowest levels of, of, um, of economic wealth in our society to, to, um, to, to get out of that um, position. Yeah.
0: And you you think that needs to be a government initiative then in order to get there?
1: Definitely, I think you know, the the it's not going to happen without some real assistance in terms of education and help. You're not going to you know to buy a genetics test from us costs 149 pounds. Well, you know that tells an awful lot. But but if you live in in um, Craig Miller or the Gaubles up here in Scotland. You know, £149 to a genetics test is a, is a complete waste of time and, and, and the results wouldn't really affect them. So you need government to actually educate people why that's important but also pay for things like that because then mm. they can start to understand themselves. So in some countries like Iceland, now over 50% of the population have already been genetically tested So and that was paid for by the government and now mm. you can start to really predict where people might get medical problems and prevent them happening which is best for everyone society doesn't have to pay the cost of sorting it out and individuals feel better for longer and lead better lives so you know it just seems a win-win
0: when i spoke to thomas he was kind of saying that the reason for making it so affordable and so accessible is that you guys want to get to the point where that is a thing that the government's doing you know this is been made accessible you can see how much it's impacting the population so if the government was paying for people to have these tests then there's going to be you know an offering kind of the education and i've always i said as well you know when they brought out the track and trace system i said i thought to myself if they spent the money that they've spent on track and trace on actually educating people how to improve and strengthen their immune systems and offer that education, like you said, at a grassroots level, at these levels, you know, very low income people who this information is not getting to, we would see huge actual change.
1: And I think people are understanding that there is a definite correlation between the people who have been most severely affected and those with weak immune systems. Mm-hmm. Not the case with every disease, but particularly in these flu related diseases, people who live proper, you know, healthier lives, you know, they sleep properly, they eat good food they eat the right sort of food, they take the right sort of exercise, then they are, they are much better able to cope with these sort of immunities. And there'll be the next one round right in the corner. So a better and healthier population will be able to fight things like uh, um, COVID much better if it's healthier.
0: Absolutely. Last question I want to ask before we move on to kind of the last segment of the show is, how do you think the high street is going to change post-COVID? Do you think COVID is going to have an impact on that?
1: I think um, so far in my career I think there have been five occasions where people have said the high street is dead um, and uh, and that's the end of the high street and people are saying the high street is dead. It isn't, it'll reinvent itself and mm. it'll reinvent itself in a number of ways, but I think there are certain trends now that are quite obvious. We, the first and foremost is people won't just visit the high street to buy something, because if you just want to buy something that you can get delivered online, people will just buy it online. So why do they want to come to the high street? They want to come to the high street because it adds them value. It's convenient and quick, or it adds you knowledge, or you feel it's a, a part of your community, or it's most importantly an experience, or you can get up- whole load of things curated in one place. So I think that in terms of the trend, certainly, uh, if I look at something like Planet Organic, you know, we tick some of those boxes. Health is definitely uh, a growing trend, and to have a curated range of things that's all about health is is really important. People want to go for an experience. They're so coming into a Planet Organic store. They feel, as you will in Marswell Hill, here is an experience where I'm likely to bump into friends and share experiences and be able to have a coffee as I do my shopping is is as much to do with the entertainment of going to the store as it is that you desperately wanted to get chickpeas. Yeah, And so I think people are going to have to think as to why it is that people want to visit the high street and they'll adapt their business models to be more experience-based and knowledge-based. If you go to a store, you want to understand why you're in the store and to be able to talk to people even if you then might go away and buy it online.
0: I have to ask, have you ever read any Simon Sinek books? I haven't, no. Because the way, what he, has his, he did this amazing TED talk, I think it was 2009, called Start With Why. And it's all about in business. And a lot of businesses will start with, will go into kind of selling their product based on their what, what are they selling and how are they doing it? And the best businesses like Apple, for example, or Harley Davidson, you're starting with a why, the question why, you know, what, why is this person, why does your consumer need what you've got? Yeah. And with all the businesses you've spoken about, so with Planet Organic, Montezuma's, Omnos, and even now how you've spoken about building up the high street, it's all started with that question of why, you know, what are we actually giving to the consumer that's going to make them happy inside, not just what they need. So, I love that. <laughs> and it's interesting that that's just something that comes naturally to you. So no wonder you've been so successful. So I end the show always with this little segment called All About You, where I just ask the guest a series of quickfire questions, which helps the listener get to know the guest a bit better. So are you ready?
1: Absolutely. Quickfire away.
0: Okay. So this one's a fill in the blank. Well-being is?
1: Integral to my life.
0: The one thing everyone should do today to improve their health and that of the planet?
1: Be kind to somebody.
0: I love that. And I've actually written this, which is interesting because we've just brought this up. What is your why, the force driving you out of bed in the morning, regardless of whether you get paid? I just,
1: I suppose I like making a difference where I can add value to other, in the end, other people.
0: I think if everyone had that desire to serve, then the world would be a really great place. Which one person has made the biggest impact on your life?
1: Probably my mum. And That's lovely. there's a specific reason for that is that I was incredibly badly dyslexic. So it was at, without my without mum, who absolutely in the 60s, where dyslexia was a an excuse for laziness, I think my teachers used to say, that she really was determined that I should get over my problems and she was uh, amazing and went on to be the headmistress of the largest dyslexic school so um, wow, she really, she really did uh, t- take her task seriously and then help others because of it.
0: That's amazing. Okay so the last one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given?
1: From my grandfather who was an amazing man and I look up to him he was the youngest ever science Nobel Prize winner of
0: 24.
1: Wow. Very bright guy. And uh, he was really lovely. I remember him well. And he said to me, be careful what you wish for, because you'll probably get it.
0: Wow. That's deep. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, Ben, thank you so much for being here. There's so many great takeaways from this. And um, I think that a lot of people are going to get a lot out of hearing about the impact that Planet Organic can make and all the wonderful things you're doing. So thank you so much.
1: Not at all, and my pleasure to be on your show.
0: All right, you take care. Take care. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to Recondition today. I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and maybe even leave a review if you enjoyed this episode. And better still, if you could share with friends and family who could benefit from the content, that's what I'd really love. I just want us to share the love so that everyone can understand how to use an integrative approach to life and health. For more free resources, visit laurenvacneen.co.uk and laurenvacneencoaching.com.